Chapter 9 of The Story of My Life and Work. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy. The Story of My Life and Work by Booker T. Washington. Chapter 9 Invited to Deliver Lecture at Fisk University. In the spring of 1895, I was pleasantly surprised to receive an invitation from the Fisk University Lecture Bureau in Nashville, Tennessee, to deliver a lecture before that organization. Mr. Edgar Weber was the president and presided at the meeting when I spoke. This was among the first addresses which I had delivered in the South that was fully reported by the Southern press. A full description of the meeting was given by the Nashville Daily American and the Nashville Banner, and papers throughout many portions of the South contained editorials based upon this address. It was also my first opportunity to speak before any large number of educated and representative colored people, and I accepted the invitation very reluctantly and went to Nashville with a good deal of fear and trembling. But my efforts seemed to meet with the heavy approval of the greater portion of the audience. As the address delivered at Fisk University on this occasion constitutes in a large measure the basis for many of my other addresses and much of the work I have tried to do, I give in full what the Nashville American said. An intelligent and appreciative audience composed of prominent colored citizens, students, and quite a large number of white people crowded the beautiful and commodious Fisk Memorial Chapel last night to hear Professor Booker T. Washington lecture on industrial education. The lecture was the first given under the auspices of the Students' Lecture Bureau of Fisk University, and was in every way a complete success. Mr. Washington is a powerful and convincing speaker. His simplicity and utter unselfishness, both in speech and action, are impressive. He speaks to the point. He does not waste words in painting beautiful pictures, but deals mostly with plain facts. Nevertheless, he is witty and caused his audience last night to laugh and applaud repeatedly the jokes and striking points of his address. Booker T. Washington is doing a great work for his race and the South. He has the right views. Professor Washington was introduced by Edgar Weber, president of the lecture bureau, and among other things he said, I am exceedingly anxious that every young man and woman should keep a hopeful and cheerful spirit as to the future. Despite all of our disadvantages and hardships, ever since our forefathers set foot upon the American soil as slaves, our pathway has been marked by progress. Think of it. We went into slavery pagans. We came out Christians. We went into slavery pieces of property. We came out American citizens. We went into slavery without a language. We came out speaking the proud Anglo-Saxon tongue. We went into slavery with slave chains clanking about our wrists. We came out with the American ballot in our hands. I believe that we are to reach our highest development largely among the lines of scientific and industrial education. For the last 50 years, education has tended in one direction, the cementing of mind to matter. The speaker then said, most people had the idea that industrial education was opposed to literary training, 
opposed to the highest development. He wanted to correct this error. He would choose the college graduate as the subject to receive industrial education. The more mind the subject had, the more satisfactory would be the results in industrial education. It requires as strong a mind to build a Corliss engine as it does to write a Greek grammar. Without industrial education, the speaker feared there would be in danger of getting too many smart men scattered through the South. A young colored man in a certain town had been pointed out to him as being exceedingly smart, and he had heard of him as being very accomplished. Upon inquiry, however, he learned the young man applied his knowledge and training to no earthly good. He was just a smart man. That was all. Continuing, the speaker said, As a race, there are two things we must learn to do. One is to put brains into the common occupations of life, and the other is to dignify common labor. If we do not, we cannot hold our own as a race. Ninety percent of any race on the globe earns its living at the common occupations of life, and the Negro can be no exception to this rule. Professor Washington then illustrated the importance of this by citing the fact that while twenty years ago every large and paying barber shop over the country was in the hands of black men, today in all the large cities you cannot find a single large or first-class barber shop operated by colored men. The black man had had a monopoly on that industry, but had gone on from day to day in the same old monotonous way, without improving anything about the industry. As a result, the white man has taken it up, put brains into it, watched all the fine points, improved and progressed until his shop today was not known as a barber shop, but as a tonsorial parlor. And he was no longer called a barber, but a tonsorial artist. Just so the old Negro man with his bucket of whitewash and his long pole and brush had given way to the white man who had applied his knowledge of chemistry to mixing materials, his knowledge of physics to the blending of colors, and his knowledge of geometry to figuring and decorating the ceiling. But the white man was not called a whitewasher. He was called a house decorator. He had put brains into his work, had given dignity to it, and the old colored man with the long pole and bucket was a thing of the past. The old negro woman and her washtub were fast being supplanted by the white man with his steam laundry, washing over a hundred shirts an hour. The many colored men who had formerly earned a living by cutting the grass in the front yards and keeping the flower beds in trim were no competitors for the white man, who, bringing his knowledge of surveying and terracing and plotting land and his knowledge of botany and blending colors into active play, had dignified and promoted the work. He was not called a grass cutter or a yard cleaner, but a florist or a landscape gardener. The old black mammy could never again enter the sick room, where she was once known as a peerless nurse. She had given place to the tidy little white woman, with her neat white cap and apron, her knowledge of physiology, bandaging, principles of diseases and the administration of medicine who had dignified, beautified, and glorified the art of nursing and had turned it into a profession. Just so, too, 
the black cook was going out of date under the influence of the superior knowledge and art of cookery possessed by white chefs who were educated men and commanded large salaries now said the speaker what are we going to do are we going to put brains into these common occupations are we going to apply the knowledge we gain at school are we going to keep up with the world or are we going to let these occupations which mean our very lifeblood slip from us education in itself is worthless it is only as it is used that it is of value a man might as well fill his head with so much cheap soup as with learning unless he is going to use his knowledge professor washington said that he had been told that the young colored man is cramped and that after he gets his education there were few chances to use it he had little patience with such argument the idea had been too prevalent that the educated colored man must either teach preach be a clerk or follow some profession the educated colored man must more and more go to the farms into the trades start brickyards sawmills factories open coal mines in short apply their education to conquering the forces of nature one trouble with the average negro said the speaker was that he was always hungry and it was impossible to make progress along educational moral or religious lines while in that condition it was a hard matter to make a christian out of a hungry man it had often been contended that the negro needed no industrial education because he already knew too well how to work there never was a greater mistake and the speaker compared as an illustration the white man with his up-to-date cultivator to the one gallust negro with his old plow patched harness and stiff-jointed mule the speaker was inclined to fear that the negro race laid too much stress on their grievances and not enough on their opportunities while many wrongs had been perpetrated on them in the south still it was recognized by all intelligent colored people that the black man has far better opportunity to rise in his business in the south than in the north while he might not be permitted to ride in the first-class car in the south he was not allowed to help build that first-class car in the north he could sooner conquer southern prejudice than northern competition the speaker found that when it came to business pure and simple the black man in the south was put on the same footing with the white man and here said he was the negro's great opportunity the black man could always find a purchaser for his wares among the whites professor washington concluded with an appeal to his race to use the opportunities that are right about them and thus grow independent he has made a lasting impression on the minds of all who heard him if he continues his wonderful career he will be classed with douglas as a benefactor of the negro race the memphis commercial appeal a few days after this address was delivered contained an editorial concerning it i quote that in full because it is among the first editorials from a southern newspaper concerning my addresses and the work at tuskegee and also because it shows that the efforts put forth at tuskegee in behalf of industrial education for the negro have had the effect of awakening not only the negroes but even the southern whites 
to the necessity of more education of this kind. The editorial is as follows. Professor Booker T. Washington, a short time since, delivered an address before the students of Fisk University, in which he advocated industrial education for the Negro race. The address has received considerable attention and evoked many favorable comments, and the theme is one worthy of far more consideration than it has ever received in the South. Our interest in the matter, however, does not particularly concern its application to the Negro. We are chiefly interested for the Southern whites and the South itself. The South is just about to enter an era of industrial development that will be almost without parallel. Its progress will be all the more rapid because of the long delay that has allowed other fields to be exhausted before the vast wealth of our natural resources began to be developed. The one great drawback to the development of the South has been the lack of skilled and educated labor, and in the great industrial awakening that is upon us, the skill to manage and operate our mills and factories and convert our abundant crude material into finished product must come from the North, unless something is done to educate our own people in the industrial arts. The opening of the eyes of the world to the vast natural wealth of the South will then simply mean that strangers will come in and dispossess our own people of their vintage and turn to their own account the opportunities we have never learned to employ. We must awake to the fact that we are face to face with a new civilization. The old order changeth, given place to the new. We must adjust ourselves to the changed conditions or be left behind in the march of progress. We must catch the spirit of modern progress and achievement or be rooted out by those that have. The great men of this generation are not statesmen lawyers, orators, or poets. The richest rewards of intellectual effort go to those who know how to bring the forces of nature to aid the processes of production. In the natural error that is now upon us, this will be especially true of the South. The men who have the capacity for taking active and effective part in the development of our resources, for the management of mills and factories, for contributing skilled labor to the fashioning of crude material into finished product, these are the men who will reap the mighty harvest and the men who will possess and rule our country. The same is true of the farm as well as the factory. The crude and unskilled methods of southern agriculture must give way to more scientific tillage. If our own farmers cannot learn the lesson, they must be displaced by those that know it. All the southern states are doing much in the way of educating the people, but without disparaging the value of the learning obtained in our schools, how much of it goes to prepare the young for grappling with the conditions that surround them or will help to make them masters or successful workers in the great field of modern progress. Look at the vast wealth of underdeveloped resources that encompasses almost every southern community. Look at the fertile fields or the worn land still in bondage to ignorant labor and an antebellum agricultural system. Will a knowledge of grammar or of Greek convert our coal 
our iron and our timber into wealth or make our fields bountiful with the harvest the plain truth is that much of the learning obtained in our schools is wasted erudition the young are not only not educated with reference to the conditions of the age but their minds are carefully and systematically trained in other directions they see no triumphs of intellect except in politics or the learned professions their imaginations are inflamed by stories of how men from humble beginnings become great statesmen great orators and great lawyers the result is that thousands miserably fail because their little book learning has diverted them from occupations in which they might have achieved honorable success and even distinction these men who might have become machinists became pettifogging lawyers quack doctors or small bore politicians industrial education is the great need of the south because industrial skills and educated labor are to be the factors of its future progress and these are to reap the richest rewards it will have to bestow if our own children cannot be prepared to take their part in the great work strangers will reap and enjoy the harvest end of chapter nine